This is Pastor Matt Harmless. This is sermon number 17 out of the Gospel according to Luke. This sermon was originally preached on March the 28th, 2021 at Edgewood Church. I hope that whatever the case may be uh, surrounding your circumstances, that this message will be a blessing to you. You will see that whatever the problems are that are in your circumstances, that Jesus is the authority on those things. God bless. I'm going to start with a little review. I figured out I needed to do that a little bit because uh, when we asked about uh, where did Jesus preach last week, Nobody knew the answer right away, so no, you guys weren't paying attention. No, I'm just joking. We're getting to know Jesus through Luke's account, this historical account that Luke has written down for us. For those of you that haven't been here, one of the things we talked about initially was Luke is just an amazing historian. If you skip for a moment, in fact, I'm going to tell you this right now, one of the only reasons why... Some scholars would go, well, we don't, I know we can't trust Luke as a historian like with Josephus and some of these other ancient historians. is because of what he writes about. There's some things that, ha- that Luke writes about about Jesus that they go, they reject it not because of any textual evidence, but simply because they don't like what he's saying. Right? And so they go, we can't trust this. But I'm telling you right now, if you just hold up the, the, the evidence of Luke being a, an accurate historic document... And everything from the type of language that is used to ignore the man behind me. You guys are ridiculous. I can't, I can't judge. I'm the same way. I would. You guys are all like, what's happening? There's somebody. Jeez, somebody went up there. Um, so, re- refocus, sorry. Come back. That was my fault. It wasn't as distracting as I tur- it turned out to be. Um, all right, so, but, but here's the thing. Luke... Luke does these things, he writes these things down, and we're supposed to take a look and we say, okay, this, this, this is history. This is reality. And we can't reject a portion of it just because it delves into the supernatural. Okay? But one of the things I found is that as I study Luke, I always feel like I'm getting to know Luke as well. Like each book of the Bible that I've worked through, I always feel that way a little bit. And, and about what, thinking about what is Luke attempting to convey as he's writing these things down. Like we know from Scripture that in addition to Luke's personality making it into this text, the reality is that God carries along these men, and we can look at the final version and say this was inspired by God. Okay? Now, so, but, but that doesn't mean we don't look at him and go, what, what, what is Luke trying to say? Okay? So the review from last week, think about what we've learned about Jesus so far. Luke shared about his birth, everything leading up to that. Luke shared about... Uh, his childhood, I had one little snippet from his childhood. Luke had, uh, now in adulthood, he's been baptized and endorsed by God. And now he's starting his ministry. He's becoming known. And then we had his first sermon. Where was that at? Nazareth. Good job, kids. Okay, it was in Nazareth. And he never went back. I mean, that's his one time. They reject him, and he does not go back. It's one of the sad realities of that story. But now we have this, in the, in the middle of that, in that sermon that he preached, he made a really bold claim. This is actually why they got upset. 
he essentially took this Old Testament passage and said, this is being fulfilled right now. They, they, they knew what he was saying. That's why they got mad, because you know what their response was? Show us, prove it. Essentially is what they said, prove it. And he delves into some Old Testament stories how God sometimes doesn't go here, but goes here and here. And they're like, wait, I mean, they put two and two together, and they said, you're, you're, you, we know what you're saying. So we're going to take you and throw you off this cliff. I mean, literally, that's what happened. Luke, as this historian, is going to do something now. That bold claim that those people said, Luke is going to show now how Jesus is going to validate and verify that claim. This is what Luke is going to do next with what we're going to read today, that this is the Messiah. Now, let's set that off to the side. We're going to come right back to that in a second. Problems. Anybody have problems? Never, Never? no. Anybody have issues? <laughs> Some of you are like, now why are you guys not raising your hands? You're all laughing. You have problems? <laughs> well, what are you doing? You pointing to the person next to you? Yeah, well, they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, their problem might be you. So uh, where does that go? You got problems? I, I, I'm going to propose a thought here. That when it comes to issues, dealing with problems, um, just that spectrum, there's, there's three general, for the lack of a better term, realms of where these things lie when it comes to understanding them or dealing with them and even where they come from. Okay? Propose, and you, you tell me if you, you would agree with this concept, okay? Uh, one of them is obviously the physical world. Problems could come because your body is breaking down, you have health issues. I mean, this could include things as well like your car breaks down or you don't have enough money to pay a bill, right? I mean, the, the, what's going on in this physical world can many times lead to problems. And as you know, this is a sin-cursed world, is it not? Second law of thermodynamics, everything's breaking down, right? And some of you are like, yeah, <laughs> every day I look in the mirror and I go, who is that old guy <laughs> looking back at me? Problems, physically. Think specifically, many of us think of those physical problems when it comes to health. There's another realm where problems, challenges come from. And I would say that it's that spiritual world. Now, there are some in this world that we live in that would say there is, that's not real, that's not a thing. I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I, I obviously disagree from Scripture. There are things that the Bible talks about that have nothing to do with the physical, material world. It, it, it's interesting because when, when, you, when you stack up in this Bible what, what God reveals about that stuff, I'm going to tell you right now, there's not a ton about those things. There's, there's bits here, bits there, clues and hints. But he definitely does not go all in and say, let me explain the whole thing to you. Like angels. The Bible talks about them. I know very little about them. And through the course of history, it's not like they're showing up every other day. When they do, it's always interesting people's response. I mean, they're always like <gasps> falling on the ground and scared to death. 
I've never seen an angel. I can't imagine what that experience would be like. But from biblical accounts, I think that it would be a scary, frightening thing to experience. There's fallen angels, right? What's a word that we, we typically use? Demons, right? I mean, the Bible talks about those things. Very little tidbits, snippets. God himself is spirit. John chapter 4, verse 24 says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. So there's some connection here between this physical and the spiritual. I'm not, I'm not up here today to, tell you, to explain all that to you. There's so much about it I don't quite grasp. I'm just saying that's a reality. There's a third realm, and I'm going to tell you, this is where I think some of the connections come from in this third realm. And for lack of a better title for this third realm, I'm just going to call it the, the world of thought. Ideas. Right? I'm not going to try to pinpoint where that lands because I know as a mathematician my whole life that leans into the scientific realm that thoughts are happening right now in my brain. Right? Electrical impulses are happening. Now, I'm pretty sure it's not just that. I feel like there's something else beyond that that's connected to this. But it's also happening in the physical. In fact, here's an amazing thing. I can convey thoughts through the air to you. My brain tells my lungs, diaphragm to exhale, just the right amount of air to pass over these vocal cords. And then it's, I'm orchestrating the movement of my tongue, my mouth, to vibrate the air. You guys didn't know I was so amazing, did you? <laughs> I'm vibrating the air in this room, and I'm doing it in such a way that you've got this little piece of skin inside your ear, this little membrane that's vibrating, because I'm vibrating the air. And it's vibrating... Is vibrating say there? And I'm doing it in just such a way that you understand exactly what I'm saying. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Thoughts. I'm having thoughts. I'm conveying them to you through the air. Thoughts are amazing, though. You can have one thought can change your whole perspective on the physical or the spiritual world. Depending on whether or not you accept that thought and bring it in or you reject it. As a teacher for 19 years, that's one of the things that I, I, I've loved to think about how the mind works and, and how people incorporate new thoughts in. There's whole sciences behind how that happens. But that's a reality. Thoughts can change how you view reality. The real physical world or the real spiritual world, it can change those things thoughts obviously when they're truth so beneficial when people incorporate lies non-truths so detrimental now let's think about those three areas let's sit there and just keep those in the back of your mind let's put them on the back burner of the stove and it's going to bubble a little bit okay just stir them in there together mix it up a little stew of reality Okay, 
All right, now let's go back into our biblical story and let's get some location. Okay, I'm putting all these pieces together here. Jesus is up preaching in Galilee. Here's Nazareth, his hometown. He's left. Here's Capernaum where we're going to talk about. Uh, Jesus actually spends a lot of time in Capernaum. It's a little seashore town. They're pretty sure that they found this town located where it was historically. And uh, I want to show you, this is a picture of the synagogue in Capernaum. I love things like this. Now, I will tell you that some of the structure wasn't there at Jesus' time, but the foundation was. So some of it's been rebuilt. But this is an idea of what a synagogue looked like okay, in Jesus' day. Um, right here, usually, I think it was right at this end, many times they would, uh, in fact, I think I have another picture here. There's from inside of it, and you can see they've, they've put some metal beams up here to hold this structure up now. But the, the person that they would have a, a separate spot where they keep the scrolls and they'd bring them out. Remember what happened last week with Jesus? They'd bring him out, handed him a scroll, and he would, um, and he would teach. And so many times the, whoever was teaching that week would be there at the front and people would be all out in here. Uh, not, not that much different than what we're doing right now. But I love pictures like this because I start thinking, that's where, it helps me to enter into this story. But this, we're not reading about um, Zeus or, you know, Thor. We're reading about real people. This is a real piece of history. And this is where this really happened. And so the story we're going to read today happens here in this place. Okay? And Luke is going to share it with us because he wants us to not miss something big right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. All right, ready? Got a little pieces in place. Got, this, got your reality stew bubbling on the back burner still? Stewing back there? Thoughts? Physical world, spiritual world, that's kind of hanging out over there? Okay. Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum. He just left Nazareth. Went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. We learned last week that was his custom. And they were astonished at his teaching. For his word possessed authority. Now let me explain what that means, this possessed authority. Most rabbis, when they would teach, they would do something that I actually do quite a bit. I will say, in fact, I'm going to do it here several times today. Most rabbis, when they'd teach, they'd say, they'd say this, is, this is the scripture, and they'd say, this is what it means, but they would always say, Rabbi whoever says this is what it means. Or Rabbi, in fact, we have documents from the, day, the time of Jesus where rabbis would say things like, I have said nothing of my own accord. It's all come from the teachers from before me. The authority was built on this building up of time, and so they'd say, this is the authority. And so when you see this, what, what this means, there's kind of a twofold thought here. One, the thing that I think we usually think of is that when Jesus spoke with authority, that there, there's something about, usually that's what we think about, like authoritative. But the bigger picture of what's really being said here is that Jesus spoke, unlike, in fact, Mark includes when he tells the story, unlike the scribes who would basically say, this is what so-and-so said, this is what so-and-so said, Jesus is saying, this is the scriptures, and here's what I say this means. And so, of course, they went, whoa, this is different. He's speaking as one who possesses authority. Now, remember, the, remember your stew over here? 
right? That world of thought. Many times the world of thought is conveyed through teaching, is it not? Try to teach you, instruct you on something, help you to see something. A lot of people teach lots of crazy things. If you don't believe me, spend an hour on YouTube. <laughs> okay? You'll hear some crazy stuff. I mean, there's no limit to the craziness you can experience. They're saying things. Now, Jesus is saying some things. Now, the last place he was in it about got him killed because they said, you're saying, we get what you're, we're picking up what you're laying down, Jesus, and uh, um, this is a pretty bold claim. Jesus is speaking from authority. Jesus has authority over the world of thought. I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but I want to share just a couple things here. This is what Luke is wanting you to see. Jesus just said he is Messiah. Now Luke is giving examples, and the first one he does is with teaching this realm. Jesus has authority. The teachings by Jesus and about Jesus are teachings of authority. Jesus gives this book, the Bible, authority, right? Because, in fact, at the end of his life, he points back, and he's helping his disciples see, and he says, he says he goes back through the Old, Old, the Old Testament, he goes, this is all about me. Authority is here. Think about what you shared earlier about Doc Smith, this book. This is the authority right here. And whether it's story, letter, Poetry, history, statistics, genealogy, songs, or prophecy, it's pointing to the living word, Christ, the authority. And Jesus, when he speaks, has authority. But, lest you fall into the ridiculously confused idea that Jesus was just a good teacher, have you ever heard anybody say that? Consider what happens next. And in the synagogue, this reminds me of our church. In the synagogue, I, I never picked up on that before. This happens in the synagogue. It's like they're having a church day, and in the synagogue, this is getting ready to happen. In the synagogue. Okay, I don't know. In the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he came to church. What's that all about? I don't know. Doesn't surprise me, really. This is actually a weird combination of words because the, the spirit of an unclean demon, there's three words in the Greek there, and, and usually it's just uh, an unclean spirit or a, a demon, but, but in this particular case, there's only a couple of the cases in the, the, the Bible where it puts all, threes, all three of these together, so there's all kinds of ideas what it means. The bottom line is there's a spiritual presence in this person's life, something outside of himself, that is having influence and impact on this man. And this man cries out with a loud voice. And see that ha right there? That's actually in the Greek. There's a, there's a, it, it's just an exclamation. There's a lot of different, they, they don't know exactly what it means. They just know it's kind of like what happens when somebody, you know, that you're not expecting is suddenly there and you're like, ah! That's, that's what that word is. And so this man is there and he's in this, he maybe comes to church every Sunday. I don't know. But he's there, and when he sees Jesus, he goes, ah What have you to do with us, 
Jesus of Nazareth. Us. Now, you might be thinking about other stories in the New Testament where it talks about, because there's many. That could be. In this particular case, it could also be referring to just the man and the demon. What have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This spirit recognizes the Lord of the ages, even in this physical, the spiritual sees and knows who this is. And he knows that at least in some manner, Jesus' role can be destruction. And the demon says, is that what you're here for today? To destroy us. Now, let's take a little rabbit trail on demons, can we? I actually, earlier this week, I asked Paul um, Fuller, who's not in here right now, I asked him to if he had any good resources on demons. And so we were meeting up, and he texted me back, and he said, I can't wait to have talk about demons over lattes because we were meeting at Mad Goat. <laughs> so we did. We talked about demons over lattes. Um, one of my commentaries, though, says this. It says, demonic forces are explained away and rationalized. I don't have this up here for you, so I'm, this one I just want you to hear. As being simply vestiges of an ancient worldview. In other words, sometimes people go, "Yeah, I'm going to tell you right now. I have never in my my life met anybody that I was like, I think this person's demon possessed. That's not my experience. I've never seen that. Okay, not not that I haven't, but I just don't know of any time. So this this is a foreign thing in in my experience. Okay, but I know, um, and what. Daryl Bach, this commentator, says, he says, there, there's, there's many times there's these deeper realities about what's going on with people. But the big, bigger thing is, if you go into third world countries today, and, and I've talked to missionaries before that have experienced, seen this sort of thing. I mean, this is not a thing that has just gone away. Lots of interesting reasons why that could be. I, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know. I think possibly one of the reasons why we see a whole, we're going to see a whole lot of this through Luke. One of the reasons, I think, is because Jesus was there and Satan said, gather the troops. That's a reasonable explanation for me. That would make sense. I also wonder about the limited number of demons and how many more people are on the planet today. Could that have a play a factor into why we don't? I don't know. But what we can't do is dismiss this as something unreal. And I'll tell you why. This Jesus who has authority over teaching, he's going to respond to it, and he's not going to go, he's not going to look at this guy and go, you, you have a mental problem. Okay. Do, do people have mental problems? Yes. But this particular guy, there's something else going on. What have you to do with us? And Jesus does something. Jesus rebukes and says, now, 
in Jesus' day, rabbis, there's actually a lot, tons of historic examples of them. They had all these elaborate like ceremonies that they did to try to exercise demons out of people. Like big production. Lots of things they had to do. So they were familiar with this in this time period. Jesus does something completely unlike what anything that they've ever seen. Jesus looks at this guy and says, be silent, come out of him. Just says it. And the demon throws him down in their midst and comes out of him, having done him no harm. I think Luke is throwing that in because of that comment earlier about, have you come to destroy us? It, it, Luke wants to make sure you understand he didn't come to destroy this guy. There's salvation for this guy. Rebuked the spirit. Now listen to what is said next by the people. They were all amazed. And say, they say to one another, what is this logos? What is this word? For with, there's that word again, authority. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Now, from Luke's perspective, what is he saying? Remember when he claimed to be Messiah? And now he's teaching, he's teaching with authority. But now if you have any questions about it, notice what he does next. Here's this supernatural issue in this person's life where a spirit, a demon, has, has infiltrated this life and is oppressing everything about it, what he's doing, whether it's a possession or an oppression or whatever it is. He's got it. And Jesus comes in and he shows that he has authority here as well. So he's showing authority in teaching the way he's doing it. But then he comes over here and something that is obvious in the spiritual realm, he also has authority. Remember that stew of reality? Right? Thought. What's important about this for you is two parts. We're going to build these up a little bit. Two parts. Number one, if you go, Jesus is just a great teacher, but you want to reject the supernatural stuff, what, if this wasn't real, then, he's, then Jesus was deluded, wasn't he? I mean, if the guy was just having some other kind of issue and Jesus said, get, the, get this demon out, Jesus is obviously confused, but, but if this is real, a real spiritual reality, and Jesus has authority here, we ought to listen to what he says. Now, we're not done. What is this word? And he rose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. So now we're dealing with something else. It's very, very tangible. Very real. They go, I mean, Simon, good news for my own mother-in-law. See, God cares about mother-in-laws. They appeal to Jesus on behalf and say, hey, would you do something? Right? What's he do? Incantation? Medicine? Anything wrong with medicines? No. Is that what Jesus needs to do? No. He stood over here and there it is again. Rebuked the fever. And it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, this is not meant to be a teaching on, you know, as soon as you get better, help me out. <laughs> Did you hear that, mother-in-law? Okay. 
Did you get a good test result on Monday? I need some supper Tuesday. No. Um, but you, you just, again, Jesus demonstrates authority. Whatever you've come here with, rest assured that the authority over that issue, the authority over that issue belongs to Christ. He has authority. If he were to say, heart be healed, it would be. If he tells you how you ought to live, he's right. And you should listen to his teaching and adjust your thoughts to what he's saying. Luke goes on from this and he lays out, he says, now when the sun was setting, all those who had, any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them and he's, he's doing all these amazing, in other words, Luke is saying these are not unique, this is not just two unique moments, he's doing this left and right, he's healing people, right? Demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. He's not interested in their endorsement, he has the endorsement of the Father, not interested in any endorsement that they're going to give. So he tells them, shut up, get out, and they do. And people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. Like, don't go away. I know that some of you have felt that way when Jesus has done things. But he said to them, I've got something I need to do. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Now, before I go on, I, I want to help you think through this and then bring it back to where you're at, okay? It, some people get a bad understanding of scripture because they, they hear something like this and they, they just feel like there should be this kind of stuff happening all the time. And I'm going to tell you right now, out of the course of the thousands of years that this covers, these kinds of things are small little portions. Okay? There's vast periods of time where you don't see anything like this going on. The point of this is not to say if you're sick, I'm going to guarantee you're going to get better. Think about this for a minute. Simon's mother-in-law, where's she at today? She's dead. Right? How about Lazarus? Remember later on when he heals Lazarus? Raises him from the dead. Is he still walking around here? No, he's dead too. Any of the people that Jesus heals in, his, in the course of his lifetime, many, are any of them today still hanging around? Does it make a lick of difference at today whether or not that leprosy was gone 2,000 years ago? Not for, now stay with me here because think about it. There, there are some people that Jesus heals and recognize it and follow him. And there's some that he heals that don't 
I mean, they, yeah, sure, they got their physical body healed. He exhibited authority over their physical body. They were healed. But that was the extent of it. There's some that we know that go, man, that's awesome, yay, and they go out to live life. Where are they at today? They're dead. What matters? See, Jesus has authority. And you see him exhibiting this authority specifically in the New Testament. You see him exhibiting this authority to show that what he's saying is true. There's a verification element to this miraculous stuff. And you see that throughout the entire Bible. Anytime God is going to reveal some new truth, you see miraculous things accompanying it. It's not a steady flow of miraculous throughout the scriptures. Here today... If you go, well, I'd believe all this if like God healed my grandma or God healed this person or God did this thing for me. I'm going to tell you, he's going to say the same thing, right? He's going to say the same thing he said to the people of Nazareth. When they asked for something miraculous, did he do it? No. You think there were some sick people in Nazareth he could have healed? Absolutely. Did he do it? No. His point was to verify this and the authority, since the authority belongs to him, he does it when and where he wills. And if you're sitting there today going, well, I'd believe all this if I saw... That's what this is for. That's what this is for. This is the verification. The miraculous is recorded in here. For you to read and see and accept and hear. And then to go, man, if he did those things, then I ought to believe what he teaches. I ought to believe the things about him. Oh, forgot I didn't click today. I have to do it at least once a year. This is a book called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Written by... Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, and you can see in the pictures on the right, Thomas Jefferson took some Bibles and a razor blade. And he went through. And you can, they have it in the Smithsonian. He went through. He cut out what he wanted. Now, I used to say that he cut out what he didn't want, but actually he cut out what he wanted and he pasted it into a new, that's what this picture on the bottom is. He pastes it and he puts page numbers on there and, and he has all kinds of little notes that he put off to the side and he made little tabs and things like that. He took out, the specific things he took out was everything that was miraculous. That was, right? And so, okay, so I share this to say, okay, so if you're sitting here and you go, man, I, you know, this is the whole demon thing, cast the demon out and you're like, be like, well, I'm not, I'm just gonna, I don't know if I'll buy it. I think Jesus is a good teacher. I don't know if anybody in the room is like that, but if you're like, I think Jesus is a good teacher, but I'm gonna, you're doing, this is what you're doing. And Thomas Jefferson literally did it. I'll take this, take this. I'll take his teachings, but I'm gonna take this other stuff. That's ridiculous. If, if you're believing the teachings, why aren't you believing everything else he says about himself? That just makes no sense. I'm going to share with you another quote here. 
Jesus' genuine authority over such beings, and we're talking about the demonic element of this, is what gives this account its point, power, and relevance. It's if you take that out, like Thomas Jefferson did, it, you miss the point. If the spirit world does not exist, then Jesus is merely a motivator or encourager. And these stories lack substance. In fact, the accounts would be lies since Luke presents Jesus as having authority over such forces. I mean, Luke is saying this, he has authority over this, and if, that's, if it's not true, then Luke's a liar. In other words, without a basis in history, these accounts have no basis to teach theology or their fundamental Christology. That's the understanding of Christ. Who is Christ? What is this all about? Luke's goal is surely not just to place Jesus in the mundane category of encourager or psychologist. Not just authority over thought, but authority over the physical world, authority over the spiritual world. This passage tells us that Jesus is much more than a positive thinker. To lower Jesus to such levels destroys the biblical portrait of him and rids the gospel of one of its connections to God's power, which can reverse evil. Now, back to you. I've struggled with how to really just bring this home, but I, I'm going to tell you right now. I asked earlier, I said, does you guys have problems? And you all chuckled and laughed. And I, I know why we do, because it's obviously everybody's like, of course we do, you know, we're people. Jesus, whatever it is, whatever you've brought here, whatever challenge you're facing, whatever thing that is, I am absolutely confident that Christ, this Christ, this Savior, has authority over that. I don't care what it is you're dealing with. Now, if, I, I'm so glad about the testimony about Dr. Smith because if, you, if you're sitting there going, I, I'm hearing what you're saying, Matt, but I, I'm, I'm having trouble locating that in here. That's okay. Christ is ordained within the scope of how this is to come to us is through a group of people. And he calls it discipleship. Jesus said, in fact, one of the last things he does when he, command, when he leaves, he, he commands his disciples to go therefore into all the world making disciples of all nations. Go and, and, and tell other people about this. And in a very real way, sometimes that's exactly, we need a Doc Smith kind of guy. That you come and you think, I, I, there's no solution for my problem. I'm telling you what, there is. There is a solution in this book. It's in here. And if nothing else, if you're sitting there going, I couldn't find, I will sit down with you. We got other people. I know Charity's done this with many of you. We will sit down together and we, we will find that together. And it is in here because Jesus has authority over every part of your stewed reality. I don't care what it is. Jesus has authority. And if you've about given up, like, I, I just, th this is too big. It is not. There's hope. There is hope. There's hope for you. And whatever it is you're dealing with, there's nothing, nothing that lies outside of the spectrum of Christ's authority. There's nothing that, he's like, I've got authority over all this, but that thing over there, I have no authority over that. No, no, no. He has authority over all things. And that's why Luke wrote this account to demonstrate that this Christ who claims who he is has authority over everything.
So if you're sitting here today, and maybe you're like that, you're like, man, I, and I don't do this very often, and I, I don't know if I can get, to, you guys are going to sing a song? Perfect. Okay. I didn't know you guys had a song prepared. Um, let me say one more thing, and then I'll let you come up here. Um, that's awesome. That's great. It works out perfect. There, there's, there's some times when, uh, I, I don't do this all that often, but I, I will say that there, there are some important times where you can say, I've been, I've been battling with this or battling with that, or I'm thinking maybe I'm ready to give up hope, or maybe I'm not, whatever the case may be, wherever you're at on that spectrum. Maybe it's just, I, I got something come up and I'm, I'm struggling, allowing God to have that authority over that. I want him to do what I want him to do. Well, let's not throw him off a cliff, right? That's never going to be the right way to respond to this, whatever it is. I know some of you are talking about physical healing, right? I mean, the, I, I, Lord, I want, but those that come to me, I know you have authority. I know if you just said, if you wanted to, you could just say, be healed. I, I, I would, be. I know that. But, but since, you're, since that's not happening, then I know there, there must be a purpose for that too. And sometimes, you know what it's so good to do? At the end of a church service, just to come forward and get on your knees, right? We don't have an altar, but we got some, we got a whole empty row up here. You can just come up here and say, get on your knees and say, Lord, I just submit myself to you. These are not magic pews up here, right? That's not what that's about. But man, I'm telling you what, there's something about that. Those of you that have had that experience where you just, come, just lay it at his feet, lay it at his feet and submit to those things. I can remember one time, I completely forgot about this, this exact moment. Uh, the old Edgewood building. Um, I can remember I had a key, and so I would go in there sometimes when I first became a Christian. I would go in there sometimes when nobody else was there. Um, I'd get off work at McLean, and I would go in there, and just there's just things going on in my life. I'm just frustrated. I wanted God to intervene. And I kind of, I remember this one particular time in particular where I just went to that front pew, those old, for those of you that used to go there, those old green, ugly pews, and got on my knees that front pew. And I'm going to tell you what, I, it, it, it felt like, it, I, I felt like I was at Jesus, I felt like Jesus was sitting there and I was laying on his lap. That's what it felt like to me in the moment. Um, there, there's something about getting on your knees before God and just saying, Lord, I've been fighting you on this. Or I've given up hope. Or I'm struggling to come up and just say, Lord, I'll lay this at your feet. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to you. And I want to acknowledge that today. And just, here it is. In fact, I, I'm going to get to, Lord, I'm not even going to say, this is what I want you to do. Because I know in, you, in the scope of your authority, you know the best thing. You know how to stir that stew. Right? You know exactly what needs to happen. You know, the physical and the spiritual and the truth, the things that I need to be thinking about. You know exactly what it is. Lord, I'm just going to lay, I'm just, there it is. I'm not going to pick it back up. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. Lord, guide me, direct me. What, I, what ought I to do? How should I think? All right, music people, if you'd like to come up. Um, while they're singing, if you want to come up, front, get on your knees, you can. You can get on your, no, no set pattern here, right? You can get on your knees where you're at. If you're like, I don't have good knees, that's okay. <laughs> you, can, you can stay standing and cry out to God right where you're at. All right, I'm going to let you guys sing. When you guys are done, I'll pray.
You want us to stand? In a minute. Okay. Just like you dim the lights. All right, we're just going to pick through the first bit of this song and just give you an opportunity to respond to God just in prayer. And again, like Matt said, the front pews and the altar are open. Matt's up here if you need him to pray with you. Be looking out for each other for that also.
Jesus.